Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through uh, 36 to 38. We'll see how far we get. Uh, We're kicking off Advent here. And Advent is, a lot of us just think Christmas, but Advent is... um, a, a tradition on the church calendar. Now, remember, we don't follow the church calendar almost at all, uh, except, you know, Christmas and Easter. Around that time, uh, we start to perk up and pay attention. Um, and the reason is not just because, well, we're covering biblical subjects that are good, uh, the birth of Christ or the resurrection of Christ, um, but also because at the same time, our culture is very much aware of at least the idea that Jesus is tied to these things in some way. So it's a good opportunity for us to visit doctrines that are actually at least in seed form on the minds of people all over the the country. So we do Advent. Now, Advent is the four weeks before Christmas, right? Beginning with the fourth Sunday before December 25th. And Advent means arrival. It means coming. Right? And so it is a celebration of God's people waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. His arrival, his birth, salvation appears. Angels rejoice. The world is changed. It's all about the arrival of the Son of God. But when we start talking about Jesus in the manger, man, people, people forget the prophetic utterances in the Old Testament. They, they forget the description of what this child will actually be. And a lot of us tend to focus on the precious moments, cute, cherubic, fat-cheeked baby Jesus, right? The cute thing, the sentimental thing. And we're like, oh, we feel warm inside because it's, it's a baby. And we all like, ba- well, okay, we don't all like babies. But most of us like babies. And it's like, no, this is, it's, a, it's, it's a good. It's like you put the diffuser lens on and everything is soft and warm and it's quiet. Baby Jesus doesn't cry because he's baby Jesus. Baby Jesus doesn't cry. We have all of these romanticized, really sort of cliche and saccharine views of the child who was born, but the son who was born 2,000 years ago, the son that, that the people of God were waiting for was a son who would reign, who would rule. In fact, this is perhaps one of the most famous uh, prophecies about the coming Messiah, Isaiah chapter 9. You see this on Christmas cards. You see it recited in uh, movies and TV. Here's a prophecy for the Messiah to come. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and shall call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There's nothing cute about that. This, this is cosmos changing. It's world defining. The, the, the child that's going to be born is going to be called mighty God and prince of peace and he's going to reign on David's throne forever. And he's promising a kingdom that's characterized by justice and righteousness. Yeah. What we have here is the promise of a king. And so today, in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, I want us to see this promise that was made to Mary, this revelation that was given to her 
about the son that she would give birth to. And if you need one principle to tie all of this together, let it be this, that Christmas gives us the king we need. Right, Christmas, right? And I don't mean the holiday, I mean what the holiday is pointing to. The incarnation, in the birth of Christ, we find the king that we need. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to do on the front end, okay? I have to set this up by starting in verse 26, give you the context and everything. Once we get to verses 28 through, um, uh, I don't know, 30, 35, 36, I want us to focus on what kind of a king we actually need. Right? Some people don't want a king at all. They don't want one. They just really want anarchy. Other people recognize, no, we need a king of some sort, and they have different ways of conceiving of it. What I want us to see is that the kind of a king that we need is a king, first of all, who comes to bless. Second of all, who is better than us. And then third, one whose reign will never end. Just three simple things. We'll keep it real simple today. What kind of a king do we need? One who comes to bless us, one who is better than us, and one whose reign will never end. But first, we've got to set the stage, so we start in verse 26. Here it says in Luke's gospel, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So let's just back up here. In the sixth month, right? You read that sort of a thing, and you're like, okay, so January, February, March, is that June? How do you count that out? Like, that's what we're wondering. And it's not, that's not what it means, because the sixth month here is referring back to the pregnancy of a woman named Elizabeth. You see, Gabriel, just before this, you can check it out, back it up and read it. Uh, Gabriel visited uh, Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, visited Zechariah and said, hey, listen, um, your wife's going to give birth, and it's going to be to uh, a prophet, and it, this prophet is going to be great, and he's going to uh, uh, announce the arrival of the Messiah. He's going to be greatly used by the Lord. And so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy is when Mary is visited by the same angel in the sixth month. Okay, so in the sixth month, she's visited by Gabriel. Who's Gabriel? Gabriel is one of the two angels that has a name in the Bible, right? There's uh, Gabriel, and what's the other one? Michael, right? Gabriel and Michael. These are the two that have names that we know of, and uh, people... Boy, people go into a lot of detail about the angels, all kinds of stories about Gabriel. Um, but uh, most of those stories are not found in Scripture. There's, you see, there was a ton of extra biblical literature out there. That just means ancient documents that were written by other people that were saying, oh, here's something else that, uh, that Gabriel did. And while they may be interesting, and there's a chance some of them are true, they're not in Scripture, so we don't interpret that with any authority. But what the, if we just look at what the scripture says, what we know about Gabriel is that he is an angel of the Lord sent by God oftentimes to, uh, to reveal things to people. He's, he's in uh, the book of Daniel, and he is a vehicle of revelation for Daniel. And here he is again, revealing something to Mary that she is about to experience something that's not just going to change her life, but it's going to change the entire world, the entire created order so Gabriel is, uh, is a servant of the Lord. He's there, and he's going to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, right? So Galilee is this region up north in Israel, 
right? And, and it's just a lot of people there. But uh, Nazareth is, was a small town, about 400 people on the top end at this time. 400 people, so a, a small town. Now, today, they have well over 70,000 people in that same region, in that same town. But it's much bigger. It's, it's basically like combining a few of the, maybe two of the Tri-Cities area here. So you can imagine 400 people, small town, and this is where Joseph and Mary live. This is where they're from. And the angel is going there to talk to Mary. And this is going to be the town, this small town, is going to be the town where Jesus is raised. It's going to grow up in this town. People in town are going to know him. In fact, much of Jesus' ministry is going to be spent in that region of Galilee. Well, this angel's going to the town, not just to visit the town, he's going to talk to Joseph and Mary. He's, 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 he's focused in on Mary here. Now, it says that Joseph is of the house of David. So it just means that, that Joseph, like Mary, actually, is of the lineage, right? Their ancestry goes all the way back to King David. And, of course, the promise that was made to David was that someone would eventually, from his lineage, would sit on the throne. So Joseph is of that lineage, and... Mary is said to be a virgin who is betrothed. This matters because it's the story, it's the truth, it's history, it's what happened. Uh, she was a, a young person engaged to Joseph, and uh, they had not come together yet. They're not married, so they kept the relationship pure and on point. Um, and so this is the setup. A young couple engaged and essentially betrothed, and... Uh, they had not yet come together. They've, they seem to be faithful Jews. They seem to be good, godly people. But at the same time, nothing remarkable, right? Because we, we know that they were essentially poor. They didn't have the resources that some other people had. We, and we know this by looking at the, at the stories that we can read in Scripture about them, the, the kind of offerings that they would make uh, in the temple because of their poor status. They could only offer certain kinds of animals, birds, for example. So Joseph and Mary, these are two common but faithful Jews, young and poor. That's the stage. They're engaged. Their new life is about to kick off. All is exciting. And this is the context in which Gabriel visits Mary and starts to make some proclamations, revelations, promises. And in that, what we find is the kind of king that we need, because what he's announcing is that uh, she's going to give birth to a king. So what kind of a king do we need? Well, first of all, in verses 28 through 31, I think it's fair to say we need a king who comes to bless us. All right, look at 28 through 31. He says, oh, it says, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. So what kind of a king do we need? We, we need one who comes to bless us. I'll, I'll make sense of that here in just a minute, but just look at what's happening. Angel shows up and he's like, greetings, uh, the Lord is with you, O favored one. 
So hey, favored one, right? That you, you have received the, the, the blessing of God. What does it mean to be favored? You might think favorite, and then you might think playing favorites, and then it might feel kind of gross. But that's not the idea. Uh, the idea is, is that to have God's favor is to have his undeserved attention and blessing. His face is shining upon you. It means his intentions for you are good, and the things that he is about to bring into your life are for your good, even if they aren't always what you might expect. She is favored by the Lord, that is loved by the Lord, and the Lord is with you. It's almost like he's, it's almost like he's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to say something, and it's going to be It's going to be a lot. And it's going to be hard for you to deal with some of what I'm going to tell you. So know this, you are favored by the Lord and the Lord is with you. Now, I don't know what that would do to me exactly, uh, but I think what I hope it would do for most of us is if we heard from an angel that, that God's favor is upon you and that he's with you, that we would be filled with awe, like we would be astounded even if we already knew it because of the gospel on some level, what a revelation, what a gift. And, and with that would come a sense of deep humility, right? Like, I'm, un, I'm so don't deserve his attention and his favor, but he's going to give it to me. This is, cra- this is crazy. It's incredible. And, and then maybe we would have a sense of confidence, right? To, not in ourselves, but in God. Like, wow, what's next? What's exciting? But, but Mary, Mary's suspicious. Mary. It says that she was greatly troubled at the saying. Why would you be troubled at that? That's a good thing. Hey, favorite. Hey, favorite. Hey, favored one. The Lord is with you. You know that expression? Waiting for the other shoe to drop. We all kind of know what it means. I mean, in general, right? Even if you don't understand like what that what it means. Literally, literally, it would be you're in your apartment, someone's above you, and you're trying to go to sleep, and you can hear them getting ready for bed, and they kick off one of their boots, and it clunk, goes to the floor. And you can't relax until the next one, because you know it's coming. You, you, you know that the next one is, is, the other shoe is going to drop. It's inevitable, and that's what it means, right? It, you're waiting for the inevitable to happen, and it's usually a stressful wait, and it's oftentimes not a good result, right? So that's usually how the expression is, waiting for the other shoe to drop. It looks like Mary's waiting for the other shoe to drop. That's what it looks like, because she's like, oh, wow, yeah, thanks, for the, thanks for the good news. Now what's, what's the bad news? And it's not actually bad news, but it, in fact, it is great news. It's the best news, but it is also hard news because it's going to mean a lot. And it's going to mean things to her that it actually doesn't mean to us because it's her son that will die. Not your son, not my son, her son. It's our Lord. It's all of our Lord. So it's, it's going to be a lot. So... She's troubled, and then the angel doubles down and says, do not be afraid, you have found favor with God. And I imagine Mary's like, yeah, you said that. And then, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You're going to have a son. It's going to be something truly miraculous. This isn't the only time God announces that babies are going to be born, right? Just did it with Elizabeth. But that wasn't conception via the Holy Spirit. Something different is happening here. And we're going to get to that in just a couple of minutes. But for now, 
let's, let's sort of work this out. The angel shows up to Mary and says, you are favored by God. The Lord is with you. She's like, what's going on? And he says it again. No, you are favored by God. Grace, mercy is upon you. And whatever is about to happen next, it's going to happen because God's favor and mercy is upon you. So get ready. It's going to be big and wonderful and scary. All at the same time, it's going to change your life. It's going to change the world. It's going to change the whole created order. You see, Jesus is coming as king to bless Right? It's, it's all about the favor of God, that he loves a sinful world. Jesus shows up to do good, to help, not to condemn, but to save. I mean, who is it that really wants to rule? Who is it that, that really wants to be in office? Now, I'm sure that there are well-intentioned, good-hearted politicians out there but I think we all have had a pretty bitter experience with politicians lying and letting us down. It seems as though, it seems as though, that uh, every politician is really out for making themselves great, making much of themselves, becoming uh, wealthy or well-known or respected. They want power, they want control. Who wants to rule? What's in their heart? What's their agenda? You see, even the best politicians... The best politicians still have the same problem, and it is that they are like you and me. It's not politics that is the problem, it's humanity. That's why both sides get it wrong. That's why we all mess up. So yes, we need a king that comes with a different kind of motive to bless, to reign righteously, to love, and to save. Think of the things that Jesus says about himself and why he came. Think about it. There's only a few times when he actually spells it out, right? I'll just give you a few of them. Uh, Mark 10, 45. I have not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came. He's like, listen, I came here. Uh, I, I didn't come here for you to serve me. I came here to serve you, though I am the king. I am the Lord God. I am God in the flesh walking on the planet that I made. I made you and I'm letting you look at me. And I am here to serve you. And he does this primarily or fundamentally, most importantly, by offering up his life as a sacrifice when he died on the cross. He serves us unto death. His is a kingship of grace and mercy in favor, he comes to bless us. Or listen to Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why did Jesus come? To die on the cross to save sinners. Okay, what else? And he's like, well... Because he's done that, now he's calling sinners to repent and to look to him for salvation, for cleansing. Turn away from your sins, turn away from your ungodliness, and look to me and follow me. That's one of the reasons Jesus came. It wasn't just to do something that's going to somehow impact people in some vague way. He offered up his life on the cross to save sinners. Now he's calling sinners to himself. He calls us to deny ourselves to follow him to believe in him, to trust him, to receive him, to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He uses all kinds of metaphors and, and figures of speech to communicate the idea that we have to find our life 
in him. So yes, Jesus came to serve, he came to call, and he came to give us life, like in John 10, John 10, 10. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Eternal life. Eternal life, Jesus says in John 17, is knowing God. Right, it's to actually know God, your maker, to have that relationship with him, to be restored, reconciled, so that God smiles upon you and receives you despite your sins. He's forgiven you and received you. You're justified in his sight. This is why Jesus came. Two, as king, bless his people. So we need a king who comes to bless, not who comes to control to selfishly and violently rule. Secondly, we need, a, we need a king who is better than us because that is the real problem, isn't it? Right? It's, it's not just that one platform is good and one platform is bad. It's not that some politicians are bad and, and some politicians are good. It's that all politicians are human and all human creations are, are broken. We need a ruler who is better. We need a better king, better than us, not just better than our opponent. We need one who won't get it wrong. Look again at verse 32. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will be great. This is what we need, great, greater. That means exalted. It means greater than us, greater than anything that has preceded him and greater than anything that will come after him. He is greater. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. This is a king that will be greater than all of the prophets. He's greater than John the Baptist, the prophet that was just announced that's going to be the greatest. Jesus is greater Still, and the prophets, you see, the prophets, they had this, they had this vision, these visions given to them by God. When they would see, when they would look ahead, it says, Jesus said that Abraham looked forward and saw the days of Jesus. And we know that Isaiah did as well. And when they looked ahead and they saw, they didn't see cute, cuddly, sentimental Jesus. They, instead, what they saw was, was a Jesus who is king, who reigns righteously and rules over his people justly. Just, and not just justly, but generously. In fact, here, let me give you, let me give you one example. If we go back to Isaiah. You can just listen. In Isaiah chapter 6, right, real famous passage. A lot of us, if you're churchy, if you've been in church a lot, you know this passage, Isaiah 6. Uh, it's when Isaiah is a, has this vision of the Lord in the temple, and it says this. In that year, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So let's just stop well, he's, he's seeing in this vision the Lord sitting on a throne, but the throne is in the temple, which not, it's not normally there. There's no throne there. Sitting on the throne, and the train of his robe is filling the whole temple, right? So epic, crazy, awesome vision of the Lord. And above him stood the seraphim angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it gets better. It gets better from here. It's a great vision. But listen, if you're familiar with this epic vision of the Lord, do you know exactly what Isaiah is looking at? He's looking at Jesus. And 
I'm not telling you he's looking at Jesus because I figured out that it's Jesus. And I'm not telling you I know he's looking at Jesus because it's a good logical inference. I'm telling you that he's looking at Jesus because that's what John says in John's gospel. In John chapter 12, in John chapter 12, John starts quoting Isaiah about Jesus. And then he says this in John 12, 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. He sees a king on a throne whose robe fills the entire temple. We need a king who is better than us, better, exalted. He's better in his teaching because he teaches as one with authority because these are not laws that he merely believes in, but laws that emanate from his very person. He's better in his miracles. He's, he's better by virtue of his life and his death and his resurrection. He's better than us because he is the son of the most high. You see that? He will be called the son of the most high. That is a title, but it's not just a title. It, 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 it speaks to his title, but it even more accurately speaks to his nature, that he has the same nature as God. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he doesn't just mean one in purpose, he means one in essence. We are one. As Christians, we believe that there is one God, only one God, yes, but that this God has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yes, that's mind-blowing and nutty, and I don't know who would ever make up something like that because I don't know how that would enter into the mind. But I do believe it is true, it's revealed in scripture that this is who God is. And so this Jesus, who is better than us, is the son of God. That's what son of the most high means. He is the son of God. It's his title, it's his nature. And there are a few passages that, that reflect this idea that not only that Jesus is God, but that this is tied to his, his title and why he's actually coming. He's coming to do what only God himself can do. Listen to Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's what we've been talking about. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. And he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is God in the flesh, the exact imprint of the nature of God. You see Jesus, you're seeing God. He is the one through whom all things have been made and he is the one who sustains all things. Or listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. This is how Peter begins his letter here. And, and think of what this means for our conceptions of Jesus. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to, this is who he's writing to, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is not a leader. Jesus is not a prophet. He is the Lord here prophesying, leading, teaching, but as God, not merely as man. You see, we need a, 
a king who is better than us because we are sinful and weak and doomed. We need a king to rescue us from ourselves. And if he's one of us, but not better than us, how will it ever happen? Jesus is one of us in his human nature, but he is infinitely better because he remains divine. He is the God-man. Only he could take our place, fulfill all righteousness, pay for our sins, die and live and reign. Only the God-man can do this. See, you have to have, you can't just have the will to do what needs to be done. You have to have the power to do it, right? If you have the will to do what needs to be done, but not the power, you're not going to accomplish much. Jesus has the will and the power. He is a king better than us. All right, third, last. Um, We need a king whose reign will never end. Because what we've learned throughout history is that uh, the best kings die. (laughs) Or they're killed. Or... uh, they get overtaken. There's a coup. Nobody reigns forever. Sometimes we have term limits, and sometimes we don't. Either way, nobody's reign lasts forever, and this is a problem because if you finally get a good one, you'd like it to keep going. Here we look at verses 32 through 36, and we see that his reign will be eternal. He will be great and he will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So the the throne of David is a reference to the promise, the covenant promise that God made to to, to David. And he told King David, he said, listen, your offspring is going to sit on your throne. And when he sits there, he will reign forever forever, not for a season, not for a lengthy period of time. He will reign forever. He will will execute righteousness and justice perfectly. His kingdom will have no end. And Jesus is the one who will sit on that throne. And so this is a, a, a promise, right, that was given to David for the people of God, because we even see here it says, The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. The house of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Israel, right? So uh, the the patriarch. And so he's got uh, the people of God in mind that Christ is gonna reign on the throne and he's going to reign over his people in righteousness, in peace, ultimately in glory, and it will never end. He will forever protect us and provide for us and lead us and teach us. And this is why we need a king. We need a king because we are creatures who need to be cared for. We need protection from our enemies. And in this case, yes, I mean spiritual enemies the sin in our own hearts, the world when it's attacking us, or the devil himself principalities and ideologies and false doctrines. We need to be protected. And Jesus is the one who protects his people. He says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. I've got you. And we need a king to provide for us, right? So that we can live and breathe and 
and move and become strong and grow. We, we need someone to provide us with what we need and Jesus is the king that gives us whatever we need for whatever he has in store for us. Right? He provides you what's necessary for what's next. He doesn't provide you with what's necessary for what you think is next. He provides you what's necessary for what is next, what he has planned for you. We need him to lead us. We need him to teach us. I love this, that God does not want us to remain ignorant. How many kings and leaders and, and dictators want their people to remain ignorant and uninformed? They don't want them to know. They want them to just be mindless robots who do what they're told. And God's like, I want you to have all the knowledge you could possibly have. I want you to have all the knowledge that you could possibly fit into your limited brain. I want you to, that's why I'm going to give you revelation and you're, I'm going to ultimately glorify you and we will be like Christ. He wants us to be filled up to the fullness of the knowledge of God. So our king protects us and provides for us and leads us and teaches us in all of these things. Really what's happening is he is saving us, saving us from sin and death and hell and ignorance and injustice. He's saving us from it all. It's the kind of king we need. It's the kind of king I think most of us want. Now Mary hears all of this and she's confused. She's catching on that something big is happening here. Look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She understands that this is not just like the occasional rare, but still like, okay, like surprise, you're gonna have a baby from an angel. Angels have done that before. All right. Uh, but this is different because Mary understands like, well, wait a minute. You're, you're saying that I'm actually going to carry a baby. Like I'm, I'm gonna be pregnant now? And she's like, how can this be? I'm a virgin she should be confused. Gabriel's answer in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is the king that Mary, a young, poor, devout Jewish girl, she's going to carry and deliver. She's not ready for it. She's not prepared for it. She's getting the surprise of her life. It's going to be hard for her. It's going to be awkward. At times, it's going to be awful, but ultimately, it will be glorious. I don't know how much she comprehended the moment this was all dropped on her, but I know she stored up all these things in her heart and meditated on them frequently. But this is what we celebrate when we're celebrating Christmas. This is what we're looking forward to, right? This is what we're keeping in our hearts when we celebrate Advent leading up to Christmas. We're, we're remembering the anticipation of God's people as they waited for the birth of Jesus. Christmas ultimately gives us the king that we need the world waited long for his arrival. And now we are waiting for his second advent, for his second coming. We are waiting just like people of old. Continue to wait. His arrival 
will mean the completion of every aspect of his work of redemption. So Christmas gives us this king. This is what needs to be in our hearts. This is what we should be responding to. Maybe you think Christmas is awesome and you love the lights and the feels, you get the vibes and it's all great. Well, that's great. Love that stuff. No hate, no shade. I I like that stuff too. But if that's all you're getting out of the holidays, then you are missing the point, really. And of course, this truth about Christ should impact every day of every year, but especially now, there's no excuse for us to miss it. It's right in front of us. He is the king that you need. But if this holiday season is bleak and dark and bitter and frustrating and lonely and you hate it, I get that too. But the holiday is not the point. And the commercialization or the way that people carry on isn't the point. See, what happened is Christmas still wound up giving you the king that you need. Not the holiday, but the holiday represents the birth of Christ, the incarnation. This gave you the king that you need. It's the king who favors you, who is with you, even, even in the darkness of those bright colored lights and happy songs. We can celebrate Christ and rejoice that he came for us to save us and we await his second coming to bring us all home. We would invite all of you, everyone, if you have not yet looked to Christ for your salvation, let let this be the day. Let this be the season where you finally heed the call why he came to serve sinners like you, to call sinners like you to repentance and to give sinners like you life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to make the most of the days that you give us. Lord, would you, would you help us to, to grow in our wonder, the real sense of wonder that in the birth of Jesus, we see God taking on human flesh. We see salvation arriving. And we know that because the king has come, we will be saved. In Christ's name we pray, amen.